Well, greetings from the Statesboro Primitive Baptist Church. Uh, what a blessing to come before God and before his people uh, this evening as we close out. Maybe that's not the way to say it. At least it's the last of the scheduled meetings of our three uh, meetings that we've titled the Spring Revival 2020 at the Statesboro Primitive Baptist Church. And we certainly thank you for your prayers. Obviously, we felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and Brother Bill Durrance. Elder Bill Durrance is our guest preacher, and God has used him mightily, as he so faithfully has over the years and continues to. Um, it's been amazing, too, to think about meeting virtually like we have and how the Lord has blessed that and used that. Uh, as you know, we are in a situation we've never been in before in our church life, and, and I personally think we'll forever be changed. And we need to be looking to God to lead us and guide us and use us. You know, the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. And no pandemic or no virus will stifle the word of God. And so may the Lord help us to see this as an opportunity for the gospel to be profoundly spread in ways maybe that it never has before. I, for one, know that I have talk to people that have never had the opportunity to hear uh, Brother Bill preach, and they've had that opportunity. They are not involved in the Primitive Baptist Church, and so they have not had that opportunity, like many of us have been blessed to hear him and many of your other brethren. But that's happened, and uh, I think God uses that and blesses that. So as we come tonight, it will be the last time we meet uh, for this meeting here virtually, and I thank you again, as I said, for your faithfulness and prayers right in your home, wherever you are, that you'll pray for the meeting as Brother Bill will come. We're just glad to see him here, um, to be with him. I feel almost uh, selfish that I've been able to sit right here with him, and I know many of you would have been here so joyfully had you been able to. Um, but may the Lord bless us and keep us real close to it, to him and one another in spite of the situation of being separated, at least socially but not spiritually, for sure. Um, Brother Bill, as you know, pastors, the Omni Primitive Baptist Church in Oak Park, Georgia. We pray the Lord will bless his ministry there. I understand they're meeting uh, from the porch. Brother Bill's preaching there, and the cars are gathering in the parking lots. We pray God will continue to bless them. And uh, Brother Bill and Sister Vanna and their family um, as they go on to ministry, but we have certainly enjoyed it. I, I again say, I told Brother Bill yesterday, I almost feel selfish, but I've missed sitting down and eating a meal with him um, and with you and his church family and just the handshakes and hugs that we may never do again, but, but boy, I'll tell you, it makes us really miss those times, doesn't it, that we've had together. But we think about them and remember it, but it just proves that you don't have to have a church full of people you don't have to have a big meal. Uh, what you have to have is the Spirit of God to have a revival. You have to have the truth of His Word profoundly preached, and we've had that. Uh, and we have to have faith to believe it. And God's given us that faith, and I pray that we would see that and feel that this evening as well. Before Brother Bill comes, as far as the church goes, uh, I did want to tell you to be in prayer for Brother Bobby Joe Kaysen. Um, I just talked with... Uh, one of his sons, Mitchell, just a few minutes ago. Brother Bobby Joe, as you know, uh, had hip surgery a few weeks ago. And in that surgery procedure, they determined something else going on. Well, they've determined 
uh, viewing some uh, CAT scans and testing that Brother Bobby Joe has been dealing with from Augusta, the hospital there. Uh, he has some cancer, and he's taking radiation, or we'll begin that, and some other treatment, and he has asked specifically that you be in prayer for him. So be in prayer for Brother Bobby Joe Kaysen, would you please? Well, thanks again for all you do in God's kingdom, and I pray that the Lord will bless us until we meet again. But right now, may the Lord settle us down, help us be still and know that he is God, and listen to his word that he will say through Elder Bill Durance. May the Lord bless you, is my prayer. I count it a blessing and a joy to be able to stand and proclaim the word of God just to know that your hearts yearn to hear God's word makes us preachers want to preach God's word and share it with others along the way of life. It's been a very special blessing for me to be able to be back at the Statesboro Primitive Baptist Church. We've spent so many good times, rejoiced in the goodness of our Lord upon us, and a lot of those have just flooded back in my heart and my mind as I've come to this series of services. And I'll be honest, I wish you could be here. I could see you and shake your hands, hug your necks, and just tell you another time that I love you in the Lord, and I have for a long time, and I believe that I always will. But that's not what we're allowed in this time and under the situation that we are dealing with today in our country and around the world. So we have to keep ourselves somewhat separated. And yet, as Brother Randy has said, our hearts are united in the Lord and in His Holy Word. Uh, the first of the three sermons that I endeavored to preach to you was Jesus Christ, our substitute. And then last evening, I tried to preach to you about Jesus Christ, our righteousness. And for this evening, I want to preach Jesus Christ, our King. And I have on my heart a passage of Scripture found in the book of Zechariah, prophecy of Zechariah, in the Old Testament, and chapter number 9 and verses 9 and 10. And it, these are the words that God recorded there. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even unto the ends of the earth. This wonderful king is being described here, and we know him as our King, Jesus Christ. May we pray. Father in heaven, I do thank you. The privilege of being able to share your word. I know, Lord, you've touched the hearts of your children all over the world. 
we will one day be united in heaven and we will meet your saints that we have never known on this earth. What a blessing that will be. But most of all, the joy of heaven will be that we're all gathered together with Jesus. The one who has loved us and saved us, the one we have loved for so long and leaned upon his everlasting arms and there we'll really see him as he is and know him more completely and perfectly than we have ever known him heretofore. So thank you, Father, for that blessed hope in our heart of what is out there waiting on us in the future in eternity in heaven. But Lord, now, in your kingdom here upon the earth, if it can please you, Father, come near us and bless us and use us one more time. Get glory to your name and to the name of Jesus. Speak to the hearts of your children words of comfort and peace and joy. And bless it all to your glory. And use us in your kingdom's work. And make us a blessing to others. In Jesus' holy and wonderful name we pray. Amen. And so my subject tonight, my sermon title is Jesus Christ, Our King. When I read this verse in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, about Jesus, prophetically speaking, there is a corresponding passage of Scripture in the New Testament. A little more lengthy, but I'm going to read it nonetheless. And as you listen carefully, I think you'll see the connection that is made between the prophecy of Zechariah and the Old Testament and the fulfillment of what he was telling us is shown here in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go ye into the villages over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man shall say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Now notice this. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, this fifth verse corresponds to the ninth verse there in Zechariah. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they sat him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so what I want you to get out of these two readings is the fact that the common ground is 
One is the prophecy of Jesus coming as king. And the one in Matthew is the fulfillment of that which Zechariah had prophesied, that Jesus would come. And it gave us some various details in both these passages that help us to be able to connect them together. And what we understand is that this is really the account of the triumphant entry of Jerusalem of Jesus into Jerusalem. And of course, it won't be an awful long time after that until he will be crucified and the circle will be complete. He will be the substitute for our sins. But today, I want to talk to you this evening for this particular sermon time to tell you something about Jesus Christ as our King. Let me tell you somebody on this earth in the day and time of Jesus who knew that Jesus was not just a prophesied king, but that he was in reality a king on this earth. And I'll tell you, it might seem strange that I would say this, but it was Pilate. Pilate knew that Jesus was king because over his head on the cross he put Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, the high priest didn't like that. He came to him and said, you ought to say not that he is the king of the Jews, but that he said he's the king of the Jews. And of course, Pilate would not change it. He said, what I've written, I have written. And he left it. So Pilate knew that Jesus was a king. And it may be oversimplified and simplistic to say this, but certainly Jesus knew that he was himself a king. And I make that observation because while Jesus was in the presence of Pilate earlier in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, Pilate said to him, Art thou a king? He asked the question very point blank, Are you a king? And Jesus said, in essence, um, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. In other words, I understand Jesus is just simply admitting it. You've said it, and I am a king that has come into this world. And let me tell you this about our King Jesus. There has never, ever, anywhere been a greater king than Jesus. In fact, I know that because the Apostle John wrote in the Revelation that on his uh, breastplate and on the thigh was a name written. And it was written this, King of kings and Lord of lords. And no other king can that be said about. That they're king of all kings. But that's our King Jesus. He's greater than all other earthly kings. He is literally the king above all the kings of the earth. Jesus is king reigning over all the other kings in this world. And that's why he's said to be king of kings and lord of lords. Now as I bring my sermon to you tonight, there are three things that I want to develop, three lines of thought. Jesus being the King of kings, 
I want us to think about a king needs a kingdom. The second thing is that a king must have power. And the third thing is that a king must have authority. And I want you to see that Jesus has all of those in great abundance. Now, first of all, a king needs a kingdom. If you think about it and notice the spelling of the word kingdom, the first part of the word kingdom is king. A king needs a kingdom. And I can tell you Jesus has a kingdom. And he had a kingdom when he lived and walked on this earth. And I know that because when he was talking in that 18th chapter of uh, the Gospel of John to Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He is explaining to Pilate something he needs to understand. That he's not acting like other kings. And the reason is, he has a kingdom but his kingdom is not like other kingdoms. But when he says, my kingdom, he is admitting he has a kingdom. A kingdom belongs to him. But then he adds and elaborates by saying, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews. In other words, Jesus said, if I was a king like most other kings and I had armies like most other kings, why my army, my servants would be here to prevent you from doing to me what you're going to try to do. But my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And the things of the Spirit of God are quite different from the things of physical and temporal nature. So Jesus admitted his kingdom, his kingdom was not of the world, and so it didn't act like the kingdoms of the world. So we need to understand he has a kingdom. And there's somebody you might least expect to have realized that. And I'm talking in reference to one of the thieves hanging on the cross beside Jesus. These two thieves were crucified with him, one on either side. One of them, I don't think, there's no indication until he died that he ever understood anything that he hadn't understood when they nailed him there. But there was one who did. I have no explanation about how he understood what he understood, except that God revealed it to him. If you've got a better idea, explanation, you can share it. But there on the cross, one of those thieves, one of them came to know who Jesus was. He even rebuked the other thief by saying, don't you know who you are speaking to? And then to Jesus, he said, listen carefully to his words as they're hanging on the cross. Remember me, he said to Jesus, when thou comest into thy kingdom. He knew that Jesus had a kingdom. Just want you to remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise.
I believe that man knew he was a king, truly a king, and he had a kingdom. And I believe Paul knew that because in the great resurrection chapter of the Bible of 1 Corinthians 15, he made the statement about Jesus for he must reign until he had put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And that's verses 25 and 26. So Paul is talking about Jesus as a king who is reigning. And he must reign. And he will continue to reign. He said, until he had put all enemies under his feet. So he has a kingdom. I like to refer to it as the kingdom of God. As the kingdom of heaven. Wonderful spiritual kingdom. God's people are blessed by it here on the earth. But it's even more wonderful yonder in heaven's glory. But from heaven, a kingdom has been established here. And our Lord is ruling in it, reigning in it. Now, he has a kingdom. The second thing is to understand that a king with the kingdom must possess power. It's just very simple. There is always somebody who wants to take what you have. Kings were no different. <clears throat> the king has a kingdom. <clears throat> There's wealth in that kingdom. There is some other kingdom. Eventually, he'll decide, I'm going to go conquer him. And I'm going to take his wealth as my spoils. And I'm going to take his kingdom away from him. And unless the king has adequate power, uh, whether it's in his wealth, whether it's in his soldiers, he has to have the power to be able to prevent the king from coming and invading and defeating him and taking his kingdom. So a king needs power. I want to tell you this evening, our King Jesus have some of the most remarkable power I have ever read of. Did you know that our King Jesus had the power that He could heal ten lepers at one time? Read the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. Ten lepers, because of their disease, because it was for them eventually a terminal disease, a uh, disease that just gradually broke down their bodies until it could not live any longer. So it was for them an incurable disease. Nobody could deal with it. And they couldn't get in society because it was considered an infectious disease. So they kind of had to live off separate, kind of have some of that separation like we're having to have today. But they saw Jesus, cried out, have mercy on us. And Jesus sent them to the priest because in that day and time, if you had leprosy and you said you were cleansed of your leprosy, you couldn't just go back into society again. You first, by law, had to go to the priest. And the priest had certain criteria he had to check and determine if you truly were healed or cleansed of your leprosy before you could go back into society. And those ten men were headed to the priest. And they were healed by him. And only one 
turn back and return to say thank you for what you did for me. I've often said, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I wonder sometime if that's the percentage of people that ever come back to God and say thank you for the blessings you give us. I'm sure we don't do that nearly enough because God is good to us. But Now imagine this. No other king in that day and time, and I know of no king in our day and time, that could miraculously heal ten lepers like that. But Jesus did. Our King Jesus did. Another example of His great power. There was in, recorded in the Gospel of John chapter number 9. There was a man who was born blind. As far as I know, he never saw anything from the time he was born. And he was a man. Lived those years of growing up. Childhood and growing into manhood. In the darkness of blindness. And Jesus comes that way. Jesus stooped down and put a little, spit him on the ground and stirred up a little plaster type thing and put it on his eyes. Told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he did. When he washed it away, guess what? He could see. Later in that ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, he made this statement, who has ever heard these are in my word, but who's ever heard of a man being given sight who was born blind? But he was. Now, how many kings of the earth do you think has power to be able to heal the, the, the eyes of a man who was born blind? I've never heard of it. I think that is unique in the power of our King Jesus. Let me give you another. What about him raising the dead? He raised Lazarus to dead, I mean to life from the dead, but he raised others. There was Jairus, his little 12-year-old daughter, and the Lord raised her from the dead. There was a widow of Nain, and her son died, and as they are carrying him out to bury him, Jesus stops them, and Jesus raises him from the dead. And he goes to Lazarus, where he is, He'd already died and been buried by the time Jesus went there. Jesus, uh, Lazarus was in the grave. And Jesus says, where have you laid him? They showed him the tomb. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha immediately responded by saying, Lord, he hath been dead four days. By now he stinketh. What does that mean to us? It means his body began to decompose. Began to have an odor about it. Death, four days, was taking its toll. Did that stop Jesus? No. Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. Immediately he came forth. Bound still with the grave clothes. He didn't crawl out. He didn't walk out. He was brought out by the power of our King Jesus. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. That's how I know he still had the grave clothes on. The wrappings of the grave clothes. Loose him and let him go. My brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, it took great power for Jesus to do that. But he has that kind of power after all. With his own death, he said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. 
This commandment have I received of my Father. Now that seems way back there. Let me bring it a little closer to us. There was a time back then when he sent out his disciples to preach the gospel. We are still sent out today to preach the gospel. But he said something to them that is very meaningful for us today. When he said, Go ye therefore and teach, and baptize, and teach. Right before he told them to do that, he said, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. I don't know how you see that, but what I see in it for them and for us is that when we go to share the Word of God, to teach, to preach, to baptize, and to disciple people, it is in the power of Jesus that we do it. If we do not have the power of God, the power of our King Jesus, we cannot do it in ourselves. We're dependent upon His power. And it is my conviction that just before He sent them out, He told them, I have all power in heaven and earth. And that way they didn't have to worry. They could go out knowing that Jesus was sending them in His power. Thank the Lord. Our King Jesus has great power. And I'll give you one more thing to tell you about it. He and He alone has the power to give eternal life. I cannot do it. None of you can do it. We can pray that God will give our loved ones eternal life, but we can't give it to them. But in the beautiful prayer that Jesus prays to His heavenly Father in the Gospel of John chapter 17, He said in the second verse, as thou hast given him, talking about himself as the Son, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And so there's this covenant people who have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We refer to them as God's elect. And they are given to Jesus in the great covenant of redeeming grace and salvation. And Jesus said the Father had given Him power to give eternal life to as many as the Father had given Him. And what's my point in all of that? Part of it, I just want to tell you about Jesus. But part of it is that you can see the King above our, all kings is our King, Jesus. No other king in this world. He can march with great massive armies. He can have many great conquests by His power. But He cannot and will never be able to give eternal life to one single solitary person. And yet the number of those to whom Jesus has given eternal life is beyond our comprehension or our numbering. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and therefore He has the power. That's what He said. Father gave Him power to be able to do that. So obviously our king has a 
an awful lot of power beyond what we can imagine. Now the third thing is that he needs to be able to have a sense of carrying out all of that authority. He needs to be able to make laws and rulings and decisions that's going to affect his people. And so he's got to have the authority to be able to do that. It's not his, the king doesn't have to ask somebody, let me make a law. You know, if you've got a government of elected officials, uh, they may have to ask their constituents, what do you think? But a king is a monarch, monarch, and he doesn't have to say, what do you think? He's the king. He has authority. And he can make decisions and he can make laws that's going to affect all of his kingdom because he has the authority to do it. Jesus has authority over his kingdom. He has authority as king. And I know that because when you look at his teachings, for example, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we know most of us have understood for a long time, that that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's the greatest sermon ever been preached. That's Jesus preaching to his disciples and those who had gathered there. The end of the seventh chapter says, for he taught them with authority and not as the scribes. In other words, scribes didn't have the authority he had. He taught them as one who had authority. Why? Because he's our king and he has authority over us. So he makes laws and rules and commandments for us. Remember that Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Plural. There are many of them. Too numerous for me to try to mention, but one that we often do remember very quickly. In John 15, verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a great, great commandment. We need to heed it. And if Jesus can love us in spite of our failures and shortcomings, we can love one another that way, can't we? Love one another as I have loved you. Now, of course, our love will never be as perfect as His. But there are ways we can love one another that's similar to the way that Jesus has loved us. But all of the commandments, all of the teachings, those things that he has validated, that were already a part of the word. Because he said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he did. And there, so there are some things that are binding upon us that you're going to find in the Old Testament. They're still binding upon us as Christians, as followers of Christ. Because he has the authority to say, that's the way I want it to be. And he is our king. And we ought to regard it very highly. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross 
and follow me. A little song, I'm in the Lord's army. Probably remember singing that at some time. There's a sense in which there is a, a lot of truth in that. Aren't we Christian soldiers ever marching against the evil of the world trying to establish good? Our captain of salvation, as he is described at one time, I, but our king, Emmanuel, he has set the standard before us and we are to be followers of him. And for whatever purpose he has for us in our lives, it is just simply to say, you're my king. You are the one who was my substitute on the cross. You loved me and died for me. You took my sins and washed them away in your shed blood. And then you gave to me your righteousness, imputed it to me, that before God the Father he might see me in the righteousness that Jesus gave to us instead of all the sins that may be in our lives. But he paid for them, he died for them. So then it says, now, as our king who did so much for us, Shouldn't we be devoted followers of him? Shouldn't we take up our cross, whatever it is? That's what he said. And that's in Matthew 16, 24. If you'll follow me, we ought to be followers of our king. If you follow me, deny yourself. We can't always have it like we want it. We must put him first in life, even ahead of ourselves. We must deny ourselves. After all, look what he denied himself when he left heaven's glory and came here. So let's deny ourselves because we love him. As our king, we are devoted to him. And we will deny ourselves, take up our cross. He had a cross. He died on his cross for us. We have a cross. We are to take it up and follow him as our king. Now, as I close this last sermon, I hope you'll remember these words, Jesus Christ, our king. I do not know what lies ahead for us. I do not know if, like many things, this will soon pass and be gone. Whether it will intensify before it does, and then wane away, I don't know. I have no revelation any more than you do. But I do know one thing. That the one who took our place and the one, same one, who gave us his righteousness is the same one who is our king. And he has more power than we can imagine. Can't we trust in his loving care? Can't we feel a little safety in his loving arms to say, Lord, whatever, I'm going to lean on you and trust in you. I'm going to try to follow you. You're my king, my Lord, my Savior, my all in all.
we'll never preach it all. We'll never read it all. We'll never understand it all till in heaven's glory. But what little we do understand. I hope by the power of the Holy Spirit it will bless our hearts. I hope these three sermons will make us think a little more about Jesus Christ and who He is to us. And I hope it will make better people of all of us because we want to get closer to Him and follow Him more. And I hope God's grace will be sufficient to every need you may have. When you're at your lowest, He who has such power will lift you up. And remember this. He told Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. It always has been and it will be for us. Trust in Jesus with all your heart and lean upon Him. May we pray. Father in heaven, I thank You to be able to share these truths about Jesus. I wish I could have done a better job in my mortality. I often feel that I've come short of the greatness of the task. But then I realize in my heart, Lord, You're so great and wonderful that when all the preachers who have ever lived and shall ever live have preached Jesus, the half will not yet have been told. Help us to glorify our Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, through the difficulties of our lives. We know that you love us. Grant us grace for what's ahead. And lead us by your Spirit. And when we need it, remind us of who you are and what you have done for us. That we may give you glory and praise. For it's in Jesus' holy name, the name above every name, that we humbly pray. And amen.